Well, again, good morning. Um, this morning, we are wrapping up our series we're calling Sola Scriptura. And uh, we've mentioned this lots of times at this point, but it's worth mentioning again. Um, Sola Scriptura is, is a Latin phrase uh, that was adopted during what's known as the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. Um, if you've ever wondered why Twin Falls Reformed Church is called Twin Falls Reformed Church, we, we owe our legacy to that big reformation of the 1500s. And the phrase sola scriptura, it just simply means scripture alone. Scripture alone. You know, and, and the reason we're doing this series and we're doing this series now is we've done kind of, we've taken a look around um, TFRC lately. And yes, we use this book a lot and in a lot of different places. But as we looked around, we thought, you know, there's, there's a couple places where we need to renew our emphasis on this book. We need to go even further, emphasize this book even more. One of those spaces is this space right here. Worship on Sunday mornings. We want to really emphasize this book, the physical book, um, each Sunday when we're here. And that means what we really want is we'd love it if every single week we all showed up with our own Bible. Or we all showed up and we at least grabbed them from the back of the room that we all had a Bible. And here's the kicker, that in this space we have this Bible and we actually open it. I know. I know. We're getting kind of edgy around here. It's okay. Um, but we, we open it and we actually interact with this book um, in this space. You know, the second emphasis that we've really thought of is, is outside of this space, um, at home, um, in your individual lives. You know, how often are we opening this book throughout the week? How often are we spending time with God, just listening for God in the words of Scripture during the week? We want to be a church that's marked by our commitment to this book in this space and outside of the space in our individual personal lives and with our families and with our kids as well. Um, like I just said, Sola Scriptura is part of uh, the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. Um, it's Sola Scriptura, or Scripture alone, is part of five solas. This is only one of them. And the five solas Pastor Brian mentioned last week, I'll blow through them again. It's Scripture alone, um, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And, and the reason Sola Scriptura made the list or scripture alone made the list, is because back in the 1500s, the church had gotten off track. And there was a big question being asked around um, uh, different Christian folks. And they were asking the question about authority. You know, what is it that has the most authority in our lives? That was a big question of the 1500s. And lots of followers of Jesus were answering that question differently. Um, some were saying, you know, the greatest authority in my life is my faith tradition. The tradition, the kind of the framework for how my faith works, the stuff that happens in this space each week, my practices, that is the greatest authority in my life. And then there were others that were saying, no, it's not that. It's, it's actually um, faith leaders that are the greatest authority in our lives. Particularly in the 1500s, it would have been the Pope, the Catholic Pope. He's the greatest authority in life. It's our, it's our leaders. And some people are saying other things. Like, no, it's our government that's the highest authority in our lives. Others were saying other things at the same time. And there was a group of Christians that said, you know what? I think you're all wrong. There's something wrong. We need to readjust. We need to readjust. And so what they did is they said, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go ancient. All the way back to the early church. And we need to go back to the most reliable source of authority in our world. And they said, it's this book. 
It's this book. It's the Bible. Sola Scriptura, they said. It's the Bible. It's, it's Scripture alone. It's the supreme authority over our lives. It has to be this book. And they said that for a reason. Because this book, it's different than other books. You see, this book, there's something unique about this book. that You'll never see a book like this book. It's unique. And this book has a power that, that no other book or source of authority has. This has a power over your life like no other. And this book is authoritative over your life. It's authoritative. It will speak truth right into your life like that in a way that nothing else seems to do. And I think the reason for that is because this book, the Bible, is sacred. It's sacred. Which simply means that the words in the Bible are filled with the presence of God. You know, Pastor Chuck spoke a couple weeks ago about the God-breathed nature of the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. This book is God-breathed. It is filled with the Spirit of God. And that means that when we open this book together, we're not just studying history. We're not just looking for a few principles for practical living or something like that. Something else is going on when we open this book. Something more mysterious, something more powerful is going on. When we open this book, we're meeting God. Now, this book isn't God. But when we open this book, we get to meet with God. You know, it's why um, in this book right here, it doesn't just say Bible. It says, it says Holy Bible right on the front of this book. I bet yours says something similar. You know, if you're in a season of life where you're like, man, I have not heard from God in forever. Where is God at? And you haven't cracked open this book? You probably should do that because you might hear from God. The Bible is the div divinely inspired final authority of faith in Jesus. The question that we all have to grapple with is the same question that the reformers of the 1500s had to grapple with is, do we actually believe that about this book? Do you believe that? Now, one of the things that uh, we do every week at our church is um, the pastor um, asks everyone to stand. Don't do that quite yet. And then he asks some unlucky soul, could be one of you, to step up to the plate up here and then to read God's word while everyone is pointed at them, staring at them. Doesn't that sound nice? We do this for a reason, guys. Every single week. We do it for a reason. It's not for the optics. It's not because it looks cool. It's not because it's edgy. It's not because it's just something we've always done. We do this for a reason. We do it because of sola scriptura, because of scripture alone, because this book is our highest authority, and we want to be reminded of that week after week after week. You know, if you remember last week, if you were here, Pastor Brian stood in this very spot and he asked, you know, what if each week when we came up to the plate here and we were going to read scripture, we just took, hit the pause button and said, you know what? How have I done this week? How often have I cracked open the Bible this week? Have I cracked open the Bible this week? You know, we uh, humans, I think we're called, we're, we're kind of, we're interesting creatures because we have this amazing ability 
to um, believe something with our minds and we can believe it and believe it as strongly as we can and we will fight for that belief and then we have the ability that to believe something so strongly yet then at the same time as we believe that thing we actually, um, our lives don't model that thing that we believe at, at all. Um, the fancy term would be it's cognitive dissonance. We do this all the time. Um, we do this with food, right? Um, candy gives you cavities, I've heard. And apparently, um, you shouldn't eat a lot of it, yet I do. I love candy, right? It's cognitive dissonance. I wonder if this moment for you today, when I'm standing right here and we're about to read God's word, I wonder if this moment is a moment of cognitive dissonance for you. Where I, or if I were to say, what's the most important book on the planet? We'd say, oh, it's the Bible, it's the Bible. But then it comes to actually opening it and we just, we just don't. We don't do it. Is this moment a moment of cognitive dissonance for you? See, one of the reasons we do this each week is as a reminder. We forget, but maybe you need this, need this space each week to say, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. I need to be in the word. It is my final authority. Maybe that's what we need this week. Now, what we do every week is we stand for the reading of God's words. This time you can stand up. And we face the center of the room where scripture is read. Now, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there with me to 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 3, um, 16 and 17. I'll wait for you to turn there a second if you're not there yet. Listen to these words. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen? You may be seated. So what we've been doing for the past uh, two weeks, and including today as well, is we've been going through that passage that we just read and we've been dissecting it. Um, the first, and I just want to kind of uh, review a second. Uh, the first week, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Chuck unpacked the first five words of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed, it says. And Pastor Chuck explained that God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is life-giving and it is life-changing. And then last week, Pastor Brian unpacked the second half of verse 16. Um, and this is the second half. It says, And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And he showed us how the, uh, God's word is our fundamental source of, of reprimand and reform and habit-forming obedience. And now we get to verse 17. See, Pastor Chuck and Pastor Brian had to share a verse. I get my own. I feel special today. I'm just saying. And here's verse 17. This is our verse for today. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Now, for all you avid Bible readers out there and all of you uh, readers and grammar type people, you may have noticed, so, the, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, you may have noticed two words that are vital to understanding this verse. You know what those two words are? So that. So that. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that... Um, in the Greek of translation of the Bible, the Greek word is hina. And hina means so that. It means in order that. It means for the purpose of. So for the purpose that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every work. So that. So that is such an important phrase, not just in the Bible, but in our lives. Like, um, I will eat less fast food so that I don't have a heart attack at 35, right? I... I will drive the speed limit, I will drive the speed limit so that I don't get a ticket, so that I will pick up after myself at home so that I can sleep in my own bed, right? Things like that. You know, if you have your Bible, I would underline those two words, so that. Because that is a huge tip-off that something big is coming, so that. Basically what these two short words are trying to say is that all the stuff that Paul has just said, and it's really verse 16, the verse right before this that we've been exploring for the past two weeks, all that good stuff that Paul is saying, the all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness stuff, all of that, um, there, there's actually a so that. There, there's a reason for all of that. There's a reason for why Scripture is God-breathed, and there, there's a reason for why the Scripture needs to teach us and to rebuke us and correct us and train us in righteousness. And the reason, the so that, is on the screen. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, in fact, Paul uses the phrase good work a lot in the New Testament. It's really interesting. I want to just scream through four of them for you this morning just to show you what he means by the term good work. Now, if you are like a Bible, like avid Bible turner, you can go and get there and you can play a game and see if you can get there as fast as I can. They're all within like three pages of each other, so it's not that hard. But the first one is 1 Timothy 5.10. And it says, and is well known for her good deeds, which is actually the same phrase, good work, in the Greek. Such as, and here you go, this is what the good work looks like. Such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Then there's Titus uh, 2, 7 through 8. That's pretty close as well. And everything set them an example by doing what is good. It's the good work. In your teaching show, integrity, that's what the good work looks like. It looks like seriousness and soundness of speech. That's what the good work looks like. That cannot be condemned. That's what the good work looks like. Titus 3.1 says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Good work. And what does that look like? To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. And always to be gentle toward everyone. 
And there's Titus 3.8, just like a couple verses later. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to what? Doing what is good. It's good work. And what does that good work look like? Looks like things that are excellent and profitable for everyone. You see, good works, in some sense, are probably what we think they are. It's, it's, it's good works. It's, it's being honest and gracious and, and peaceable and considerate of others and hospitable and one that comes to the rescue of people that are in conflict and is measured and is, and is gentle. Good works are the kind of things like Titus 3.8 says. They're the things that are excellent and profitable for everyone. That's good work. It's the thing that I say to my kids all the time when I have to discipline them. What does God want out of your life? I will ask my kid. And one of my kids will respond and they will say, well, to make the world a better place, to make the world look a little bit more like heaven. That's the good work. Now, there's, there is a rub to this, I think, though. This good work idea. You know, many of us, we love reading the Bible, don't we? Many of us do. We love studying the Bible. It's interesting. It, it's provocative. There's interesting theology. There's interesting philosophy in the Bible. We love using the Bible as a learning tool, don't we? We love that. It's really interesting. The history is so good. But here's the thing. This book, yes, it will show you so much about the world that you don't know. This book will show you so much about God that you don't know. This book will, in fact, show you so much about yourself that, in fact, you don't know. But here's the thing. The, the Bible will give to you, and then it will give to you, and then it will give to you, and then it will give to you. And then there's this moment where God says, you know what? I want something in response. The Bible offers us a lot, but the Bible also demands a lot from us. See, the Bible... It, this, this book is an equipping book. It, it trains us up so that God can ask us to do something with our training in the world. It actually asks us to take action. And frankly, I'm not sure that that's most of the reason why we come to this book. You know, give me the Bible studies and the conversations about the Bible and the incredible stories in the Bible. I love that. Noah's Ark is so cool. I love that. But God, please don't, don't make the Bible demand something from me. I don't know how I feel about that one. Especially, God, especially, don't make the Bible demand that I do the hard work of character formation, the inside stuff. Don't make me do that. Don't make me do the transformation stuff because that, that's hard work. That's a lot. You know, what is amazing to me is that it is entirely possible to spend your whole life reading this whole Bible and you can avoid verse 17, our scripture reading this morning. You can avoid the whole thing. The, the so that part of the Bible. And we can read the Bible simply as a learning tool and it can be an interesting thing. It can be entertainment in some sort. And there's a lot of us that actually probably do that. You know, I have um, an uncle. His name was Uncle Steve. He died about 15 years ago. 
And my uncle Steve, when I was a kid, was one of those people that knew like everything you could imagine about this book. This guy could quote lengthy portions of the Bible. This guy knew all the theology and like the scholarly debates about what's going on in the Bible. This guy knew the context. He knew everything I could imagine about the Bible. He probably still would have known more than I do today, and I'm educated to know things about the Bible. But my uncle Steve got a divorce for cheating on his wife. And then my uncle Steve uh, fell into an alcohol problem. And then my uncle Steve, as I would walk into his house in, in, like in the morning, I'd walk in and he'd have, he'd have his cornflakes and he'd have like a tall boy beer with his cornflakes. That's not that funny. <laughs> but my uncle Steve, my uncle Steve eventually died from liver failure. And his life looked nothing like all the knowledge he had about the Bible. And I wonder how much of that is true for us. How much do we know about this book, but we don't do the so that part of this book? You see, this is what the good work that Paul talks about is all about. It's about the something in return. It's the difference between knowing the Bible versus being equipped and sent out by the Bible. And the Apostle Paul uses the phrase good work to talk about this being equipped and sent out part of the Bible. In fact, if you look at your Bible, if you turn to our scripture passage, it's 2 Timothy 3, and you just go like one paragraph over to 2 Timothy 2.20. Go ahead and turn there if you have a chance. 2 Timothy 2.20. This is an amazing passage about the so that of the Bible. And Paul uses a metaphor here to explain this being equipped for good work thing. Listen to this. That's what Paul says. He says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do what? Good work. Good work. You know, if you have your Bible still open there and you have a pen handy, I want you to just underline a couple things. In verse 20 in particular, I want you to underline the, the phrase special purposes, if you can. And then I want you to circle the phrase common use. And when you're done with it, I want you to look at it and I want you to ask yourself the question. As you look at your own life and you look at the way that you use the Bible or don't use the Bible at all perhaps, I want you to ask this question of yourself. What am I? What am I? Am I common use? Or does my life model spe a special purpose? That's something really to grapple with. It's where the rubber meets the road in some sense. When you look at your life and you look at all the purpose in your life and you look at the goals you have set and you look at the works that you've done in your life, does your life look like wood and clay, according to Paul? Or does it look like gold and silver? Does it look like common use or for a special purpose? 
It's a question to ask. You know, there's a pastor, his name's Eugene Peterson. He writes on this topic, and I love what he says about this. Listen to this. He says, in our reading of this book, in our reading of the Bible, we come to realize that what we need is not primarily informational, telling us things about God and ourselves, but formational, shaping us into our true being. And you see, the formation that Eugene Peterson is talking about is the equipped for good work stuff that Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy 3.17. It's about being changed and shaped and molded and equipped and then sent out into God's world to, to join God in redeeming that world. It's the good work is what it is. You see, this is in some part why we want to renew our emphasis on this book. In worship, at home, with your family, with your kids. Because when we become a church that is just diehard sold out to this book, you can't imagine what's going to happen in the Magic Valley. You can't. You can't fathom it. Uh, amazing things will happen when we're all equipped to do the good work and then sent out to actually do it, it will change the Magic Valley in a way that it never has before. Do you want that? Do you want that? Crack open this book. You know, we're doing this thing called the Sola Scriptura Challenge to, to really help us begin doing this uh, kind of in a more direct way. And the challenge is pretty simple. You know, from here on out, we want to be a church that uses the Bible more intentionally in worship. We want to be a church that, where everyone brings their Bible or uses a Bible when they're in this space. And we want to be a church that memorizes Scripture, that internalizes it, that makes it our own. And we want to be a church that's committed to spending more time alone with God in this book, listening for God to speak to us as we read this book. Now, I realize for some of us, that's actually not that easy to do because this book can seem kind of daunting, can't it? You know, if you have a bulletin or you have a sermon outline, we have something in there called the TFRC Bible Reading Tool. You want to pull that out a second. I want to walk through it with you if you can. I'll give you a second. This is a helpful tool that will help you begin to read the Bible. If you're really not sure how to do this Bible reading, listening for God thing when you open this book, this will help you do some of that. And the first step is really complex. It's tough. It's, it's read it. Like start reading it. We can do that one, I think. And then whenever you've read like a passage or a scripture or something, like read it again. And then when you finish reading it again, go ahead and read it again. And then read it again until you feel like you really have a grasp for the grammar and the flow and you really feel like you understand for yourself what this text or this passage, whatever it may be, is saying. And when you've read it, then move on to step two of our five R's, by the way, if you saw that. We're clever, I know. Um, the second is reflect. In prayer, ask God to reveal to you why this particular passage that you're reading again and again and again is important in this season of your life. How does this passage intersect with your faith, with your life, with your circumstance, with your relationships? Take it to God and pray about it and listen. And maybe God has something to say. And after that part, move on to the third R, which is remember. 
Perhaps when you're reflecting, God sticks out just a couple words in that passage or a, or a whole verse in that passage. Or if you're really brave, like a whole chapter of the Bible sticks out to you. Memorize it. Really, go for it. Memorize it. There is something about it, about interiorizing the word. You know, the Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. And before that, Jewish people were doing it for thousands of years before that. Internalizing the word, memorizing it. When you have that verse and it's in you, you have access to it all the time. And it becomes a powerful tool in your life. When you've memorized it, move on to the next step. Research it. You know, we, we are selling study Bibles. Um, they're really great study Bibles out in the information desk at a way cheap price. Grab a study Bible and look your verse up in that study Bible and see what it says. If that's not good enough, we have, um, there's online Bible research tools all over the place. Um, we have one on here, the Blue Letter Bible. It's an older um, website, but it's really good. You can type in your passage and it will actually help you kind of unfold some of the layers of the text for you in ways that perhaps you wouldn't be able to do on your own. And then research it and then study it and learn as much as you can about it. And then there's the verse 17 thing. There's the so that. Respond to it. The same Holy Spirit that inspired this book right here is speaking to you through it. What is God calling you to do in response to the word that you have studied and read and memorized and researched. And I promise you, at the end of that, you will be changed. You will have encountered God in the Bible. And when we all do that, can you imagine the difference we will make as a church? It's unfathomable. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are mindful of us and you gave us a book like this. And then you put your spirit in it, God. And we thank you that, that we can come to this book and we can meet you in all circumstances in life, God. God, give us the boldness and the discipline to actually do that, to crack open the Bible and to meet with you, God. Help us make that a regular part of our lives, God. Teach us to study it, to read it, to memorize it, and inspire us to do all of those things, God, because we, at the end of the day, want to be closer to you. And we want to fulfill that so that part. So that. So that we can be equipped. So that for good work. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, probably one of the most famous verses about the Bible. The two verses prior to that are, I think are just as important. I want to read those to you here a second. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? Receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.